Hi there, and welcome to the Click IQ Academy podcast. The Click IQ Academy is a learning and resources hub for recruiters, shaping the future and featuring insights from the sharpest minds in the industry. I'm Alan Walker, and in this episode, I talk to Phil Catchside, Head of Recruitment Marketing and Engagement at Network Rail. We talked about candidate marketing segmentation, why this is important, what it means for an organisation like Network Rail, and how he tackled it. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm really good, Alan. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. So it's great to speak to you again. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about who it is you are and what it is you do, please, Phil? Yeah, of course. So I'm Phil Capside. I work in Network Rail. been there for six years now. Um, so I head up our recruitment marketing and engagement team. Um, recruitment marketing, I'm, I'm sure, as you'll know, uh, and a lot of people know, is quite quite a new concept in the world of recruitment. Um, so for Network Rail as well, I, I started uh, in, the, in the team last year um, and have now built up a team. We've got five people now working on recruitment marketing and engagement. And I guess for anyone that, that might not be aware of it, it's, it's really about that space before a candidate applies. Um, mm. So it's about building interest, awareness, consideration, and just really warming warming people up and, and nurturing them um, so they're not hitting, hitting us cold. Uh, and I think that really then helps with the recruitment of, of people into the business. They already know what Network Rail stands for. I guess in an organisation like Network Rail, because the, the the complexity of hiring in terms of the wide range of people that you have to hire for, not just both the volume, but also the variety in terms of skill sets and roles in itself must must be more quite a challenge. We talked about a project that you're working on at the moment um, that is trying to get your head around that bit. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So um, the, the project I'm working on is market segmentation. Uh, I have to say, it's probably one of the best things I've, I've worked on in, in my career. Uh, I won't tell you how long that career is, um, <laughs> but it's it's something that is, is really, really enjoyable. Um, and the learning that I've actually had from, from the experiences has been immense. So uh, if anyone's considering that, I'd say go and do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so really it's, it's about looking for... Um, so we're seeing how talent insights has changed the game for recruitment. Mm. Um, we now have a better idea of where people are. And I think this is now taking this to the next step. So you know, you know where talent is. It's now about understanding the people behind that. So you can start to build the right experience for them and, and really start to engage them. So I think if you just rely solely upon talent insights, it's, it's kind of only part of the, the solution. And so that does that explain market segmentation in a nutshell? It's said, what are some of the kind of nuances around it? What do you try and figure out about um, the, t- the talent you're going after? So, so I think um, I've, I think we've very much been guilty in the past. Um, Network Rail, we've been quite company centric, so we like to put a lot of information out there um, and, and tackle the market as one. Um, and actually, if you look at some of the, the sort of product and servicing marketing, the likes of Apple, for example. How they've approached their their different and, and Amazon especially, um, how they've approached their their markets is is that they they split them into distinct groups um, yeah. and they get a really good understanding of what what those people want and then build the products and services behind them. And I, th- I think we've all heard about sort of Gen Z behaves like this or millennials do this. And actually, we know that's not true. If you if you look at millennials as a whole and you say they all do the same thing. 
I think we're missing the trick there. So what, what we've done with segmentation is actually base it around psychographics. Yeah. Um, and that's to really understand the, the priorities, the drivers, the emotional factors behind what people feel about work. Um, and I think if you can if you can start to understand that, um, you can actually start to build the right propositions that, that people really buy into. I think, um, so, <laughs> yeah, so and I think especially in, in our day and age, there's just so much noise. You, you think about the different channels that we're all exposed to each day. You've got to really create a, a pull um, yeah. and, and really personalize and offer something of value to people. So why have um, why have Network Rail decided to embark on this project, and uh, what are you looking to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think we're we're perhaps all in the in the same boat here. I think recruiters across uh, the country and and sort of globally are in this really rapidly changing world of. Um, so in the UK, for example, we know we're at the highest level of employment since the nineteen seventies. We've got the highest levels of female employment. Um, we've got a completely changing future skill set. I, I read the other day that um, four out of the five top emerging jobs um, last year were in AI and machine learning. So, and yet at the same time, 89% um, of Scottish farmers say that tech savvy staff is really critical for them if they're mm. going to remain competitive. So, you know, it's not just the big corporations that are, that are fighting for that talent. It's actually everyone realise is um, just, just how important it is. I think as well, and I, and I think for, for Network Rail as well, we've, we've kind of got the brand awareness. People know Network Rail generally, so we, we don't necessarily have that problem. But what we do have is, is the advocacy piece. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're a service provider um, delivering to passengers, to our, to our freight companies. Um, but because of the complexity of the network, some, sometimes things go wrong with delays and cancellations. And that has an impact if you're a, a, a passenger mm. um, and that actually we know as well as if a passenger, if you have a, a poor experience, that also shapes your perception of network rail as an employer. Of course it does. And I and imagine a massive percentage of your future employees are, are also currently customers or passengers. But that, that's also an opportunity for us. So um, there's this seismic shift in the organisation for network rail. So we have a, a putting passengers first program um, that's led by the, the chief executive. Uh, he's very much this is all about getting the service right for our passengers, which which is great for us in the, the recruitment space as well, because we can dovetail into that, marry it up. And I think it's it's an opportune time because actually what we're saying is this is all about people, whether you're a passenger, not a passenger, or a candidate. So yeah. we're going through a really really big change there. So. Is quite yeah quite um opportune and so how for those that don't know network rail and i imagine certainly for the uk audience that won't be many people um whether their understanding of exactly what network rail is or not is accurate we, we can come on to that a bit later but for for those that wanted to know a little more how big is network rail yeah so we're we're national as and and that includes uh wales and, and scotland as well yeah um, we've got 39,000 people working across wow. the country. And and there really is. So you, you'll have heard of the Orange Army um, say that, you know, the, our teams that are out on the tracks day yeah. and night um, maintaining. But, of course, it's it's much bigger than that. We've, we've got the, our frontline staff in, in stations. 
uh, and operation staff, we've got signaling staff, we've got, and everyone that sits behind the network that, that helps it run. And I think I, I never really appreciated it until I started just, just the complexity um, of the business, but actually how important it is. You know, we, we connect people um, from, from A to B and whether that's people going on holiday or commuting or friends or family, but it's also goods and freight as well. And it, it's mm. such a vital, vital part to, to the country. Um, and we have to get it right. And I think this is why it's so critical for Network Rail, um, that we need the right people to deliver that service. And I guess people don't always um, recognise the the amount of infrastructure still that rail provides because they yeah. look at things like you know, autonomous cars and flights and think rail's been around for 200 years. It's not a new yeah. thing, but it's still a major part of the infrastructure, isn't it? It is. And, and, and actually, when you, when you compare to somewhere like Europe, um, where a lot, of, a lot of that infrastructure is quite new, mm. um, whereas actually what we're building upon is, is a much older infrastructure. So we've, so we've got the, the challenge of um, an old infrastructure that we need to maintain but at the same time, we need to upgrade. So you need to keep things running, but at the same time, you need to be doing future stuff, the really exciting stuff. So again, you've got the challenge there of, of keeping the people who know how to keep the old stuff running, but also yeah. bringing in those innovative, forward-thinking, creative people who can look at the what's coming next. Absolutely that. So uh, yeah, and it, that really is quite a challenge. And, and again, that's why it comes back to the recruitment space plays such a, a pivotal role in that. So back to the market segmentation piece and, you know, in danger of talking about railways for the next 20 minutes, um, <laughs> how have you gone about tackling that project? Talk us through some of the steps that you, you've gone through so we can take some learning away. Yeah, so I, I think the first thing is to understand the problem. Um, and I know it's, it's very easy, especially in the recruitment space. It's, it's an exciting place. There's, there's so much technology, so many different offerings. And... Um, and I'd say for anyone, the first thing is to understand what the problem is. What what are you trying to tackle? Don't just segment for the sake of it. What what are you actually trying to tackle here? Because then you can that will keep you focused throughout the project. Um, I'd also say it's about if you've got a marketing team, go and talk to them. Um, I'm I'm lucky that we've got a marketing team that sit across from us, so brand, digital, comms, uh, market research. Um, and just talking to them and finding out their experiences and 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 what expertise they can can help with. Um, so they've they've been a really really key link for us. And then the other thing is that we've done is we got a specialist agency on board. Um, I can tell you more about that later or now. And and the key part in this was getting the right agency. It's something we didn't rush into. Uh, we were really clear about. The problem we were trying to address and actually what we wanted as the outcomes yeah. i think again it's quite easy to just get sort of swayed along with market segmentation um you know flashy all in lights but actually just knowing that the agency that you're going to work with um is the right agency so we, we did some really good work around that and i have to say uh, i'm really pleased we did because they've, they've been absolutely brilliant so once you've done that um initial problem finding piece and deciding what it is you're trying to tackle um you've got on board a friendly agency you've spoken to your internal marketing guys as well and got them on board and their support and guidance what are the actual steps you then take to actually um start to 
build out that understanding through the market segmentation project? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So our, our segmentation we've done in three stages. So the first part was around um, fact finding, data mining and expert interviews. So we, we had some interviews with um, people within the industry. We had uh, key people within Network Rail. And what we what we wanted to do is really explore in more detail what the problems were um, and you know where people want to be mm. where where they see the industry going what they see the challenges are um, so again linking back to the future skills what do we think we need in network rail in the next sort of 5 10 15 years plus so that we can really start to build that into our into our thinking we then at the end of that stage had had a debrief got some really good insights and then we we did uh, then went into stage two, which was more about the actual the market research piece itself. So now we've understood the problem in more detail, we can then start to go out and ask the right questions and, and complete the segmentation. And now we're just in the throes of stage three, which is the sort of focus groups, which is very uh, qualitative and really trying to understand the sort of deeper emotion behind people. So um, people that have come into the business, what has their experience been like versus their perception? I think that's a really key part, especially when we look at things like the employer value proposition, mm. that that link between the perception of network rail and the actual authentic experience, if you can start to really understand that, why, why did people decide to come to network rail when they were probably applying for other jobs at the time? So, so we can really start to understand that sort of emotional driver behind it because we know emotion drives behaviour. Absolutely. In terms of internally, what challenges did you have to come over into actually say, this is the right thing to do, this market segmentation piece, and get support? Yeah, so I think I think luckily, um, especially within the expert interviews, it, it was quite a... Because we, we presented the, the problem, and this, this is what we're... Very much what I've talked through um, previously, you know, with the, the skills gap, the, mm. the employment levels, the actual need to get talent into the business because otherwise we can't deliver what we want to deliver so that that wasn't that difficult to get the buy-in from that um you know and within our expert interviews we even had andrew haynes our chief executive take part which which for me was really important Uh, and it just shows the level of buy-in um across across the business for this did you have to get executive sponsorship for the project itself yeah so we so we did um, our group HR director um, as well, very much behind it. Again, it, there, there were those questions of, okay, well, it sounds good, but so what? So <laughs> there, there is that need to, to provide that business case up front. Um, but I think, I think most, uh, most recruiters could go into their business and just, you know, with a bit of research and a, a bit of insight and data behind it, you can tell that story. And I, I think you'll get that buy-in. But again, it's coming back to that, what I said, right near the start is define a yeah. problem otherwise it's just seen as a well nice to have but what does it mean so i think i think understand that problem is a really really key thing and you mentioned earlier that you had brought in an agency so you had some you had some external support with this and um, why did you decide to bring them in rather than do all of the work yourselves yeah so so i think for something like this it it's such a such a critical thing to do and to get it right um i wouldn't personally have the expertise to deliver this um you know and and actually i think by bringing in a specialist agency they they know this they do this inside out they do it day by day um 
across a number of different industries. And I think they bring so much more insight um, and so much more expertise. But I also think an external person is that critical friend piece. Yeah. So they, they, they challenge your thinking. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm just really glad that we, we took the time to get the right agency on board. Um, I've been a big fan of them since day one. And, and every stage they deliver at, I'm just wowed by the insights that we're getting through from them. So is that a without mentioning names? It's not uh, we're not here doing a, an advertorial or such, but are <laughs> a they, shameless plug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we are they a employer brand agency? Are they recruit marketing agency? Are they a research agency? What kind of agency are they? Yeah, so they're they're a they're market research and insights agency. Um, so specifically, and and we we did along the line when we were considering who to use, we did say, well, do we do we want someone that's for a very sort of brand and EVP? Or do we actually want someone that's really, really specialist? I'm, I'm glad we've gone the very specialist route because we know once we have these insights, we can then go to a, a more sort of EVP, employer brand type agency um, to deliver it. But I, my personal experience, I would go specialist okay. because I, I think get, getting it right is so, so critical. If you get it wrong, you know, the impact of that in a year, five years, 10 years, is is huge. Oh yeah, exactly. And an organisation of your size and scale, yeah, it's um, it might yeah. it's a, a relatively low outlay on terms of the agency for the impact it potentially have. And as you say, if you go with a generalist who's okay at everything from kind of cradle to grave, the research piece, then the branding piece, then the marketing piece, you might get there. But if you go with yeah. specialists for each individual elements, then you you're much more likely to get where you need to. I think. I'm I'm always I'm always a big fan of. Um of just saying if this was coming out of my back pocket would i pay for it i think that's always a really good sense check so yeah. uh yeah yeah that's all that's always been a sense check for me that's good to hear not, not that i've got that sort of money in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just put it on expenses it'd be all right yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so what have the key findings been so far? You've you finished the quantitative stuff, I'm guessing. It's the qualitative yes. stuff you're doing now. So from the quantitative um, analysis and everything else that's come before today, uh, what have been some yeah. of the kind of key findings or interesting findings from that research? Yeah. I, do, do, do you know what? I think it's just, I think if I'm sum it up, I think it's just challenged so many assumptions. Um, so we, we've managed to segment into six six different segments. Um and actually, when you when you start to break them down and, and start to look at those individuals and, and how they relate to different parts of the business, some of it is, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and then some of it, like I say, the assumptions that, that previously we might have made, um, you just they just blow them out of the water. Because actually what those people are feeling um, and the drivers and the motivations are um a difference what what you think have you got an example phil have one so uh, yeah so 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 i'm thinking so um so a certain part of the certain part of the business which is more on the sort of operational side for us um it's quite a when we look at the demographics behind this segment it's quite a young uh young segment and actually when when we look at something like just the the benefits and the rewards that that drive you know what what's the priority mm. in terms of benefits for you well number one is pension which i find fascinating in itself <laughs> yeah so number one is pension and then right underneath that 
you've got um is health and well-being so it's and, and actually mental health and well-being and you, you start to think well we wouldn't promote that normally in in that sense we, we and what we can what we can do is actually start to target that group and and draw those just draw those attractive propositions out and say you know so, so even when you're going to market they're the sort of things that you can draw to the top of the top of the list for them and all, all of a sudden people might go, yeah oh, yeah that's got my attention so it's just that's just a tiny tiny example um you know i've got pages of reports that have come come in after that that part of the segmentation but i just i just think you can really start to understand the drivers the emotions the behaviors um behind people and I think that's really fascinating no it's amazing stuff i've seen this stuff before incredible I find I find myself walking I find myself walking around the building and going, I wonder which segment that person I'm on to. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, oh, be careful. Yeah, I know it's a don't, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah, you'll be accused of pigeonholing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, but at least it's better than saying, well, he's a millennial, he's Gen Z, she's yeah. Gen X, etc. Uh, this is broader. You've got six segments rather than just three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much broader. Oh, so exactly. Broader. What are you going to be doing with these findings then? So yeah. you, you found out more about your target audience, your, your target yeah. candidate base. Um, you've probably started to actually not only understand people coming in but probably more about people that are already in the business Absolutely, so there's some yeah. value from that data as well what are you going to do what's next so so i think overall this is the yeah this is not solely about attraction actually this is about attraction engagement retention yeah so there are so many different parts of our business that will benefit from it what i would say as well is that people in the business are at different stages of understanding of segmentation um so Again, we're just trying to keep it very simple at the moment. As as the findings come in, you know, we're sharing them at a very top level in some different ways. So, for example, at the end of stage one, we used podcasts um, just to sort of share some of the findings. And that, that was a really nice, different way of getting some internal marketing out across the business. Interesting. You know, yeah, people saying, oh, that's that's different. Normally, I'll just get an email or... A... <laughs> yeah, so, so actually, that was a really, really good way of doing it. I think um, the risk is... And this this has been the learning for me is that I thought we'd get to the end of segmentation and we'd just do a full launch across the business. And the analogy I've put behind that is that, that would just be like throwing a match in a box of fire um, box of fireworks because I think you just get this huge thing and some people go wow and other people go what the hell was that? <laughs> so so actually our approach is much more about drip feeding into the business rather than the huge rollout. Um, and we're, we're looking at certain projects within the business that we're going to test um, and then just gradually build that in because because this is going to form a really fundamental part of the employer value proposition Yeah. Um, because it's about understanding what people want and so that we can match that up, that really, that perception through to experience and just make something really attractive, really authentic and something of value to people. And how will it impact marketing itself? So when you're going out to market in terms of how you how you communicate, where you communicate and what you communicate? Yeah, so, I mean, even some of the insights. Um, so our, our stage three research at the moment is what we're doing with our focus groups is actually asking people about their experience through the recruitment process. What we want them to say is, this is how we want you to recruit us. 
And we want to be quite brave in that and quite courageous rather than going, here is a process. We want to turn that into an opportunity. Mm. Just like, just like we know that the, the great firms out there that are marketing products and services, they, they've spun it on their head and they, they've turned just an internal process into something quite nice and, a, and an experience for people. So, so I think if we can build that experience, but also in terms of even just the way we engage people through content, um before you know just that nurturing piece of people um where which channels we need to go to which messages we need to share and and trying to do some more of that i've heard this lovely expression about give back content so you're not you're not just promoting the business you're actually giving something back to people that they find of value so so it's just more about fundamentally changing it into a a candidate centric approach to recruitment what do people want? What can we add that's of value to them? And really create that that interest and, and get them to see Network Rail as a really attractive and, and viable career for them. And then making sure that is real. They're not just seeing what the Absolutely. marketing guys want to say, but they're actually seeing yeah. what the experience will be like once they become a Network Rail employee. Yeah. And and that that will be really, you know, the EVP and the value propositions around that are going to be key those those principles that as a business that that promise we need to make to people um that it's really authentic rather than just a piece of marketing bump that yeah. actually isn't real no. um yeah that 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 is just definitely something we're not going to do. No, exactly. And that yeah. will pay itself off in spades. You'll have people coming into the business and saying, okay, I applied for this job with Network Rail. They said I would get X, Y, Z. I would experience this. I'd feel like that. And guess what? Yeah. It was 99% accurate. And then immediately yeah. you've turned somebody into an advocate who will then, and that is gold. Yeah. And most businesses, I'm not saying Network Rail are like this, most businesses say X, Y, and Z and then deliver A, B, and C. So somebody comes in yeah. and goes, this isn't what I expected. It might still be okay. Uh, it might still be fine. They may still enjoy themselves, but it's not what they expected. So it immediately puts them on a back foot. So, um, yeah. yeah, and you have to rebuild that trust. If you're warts and all, um, you build trust from day one and people come in and, it, and it's pretty much exactly as you said it would be, then immediately you've got people who can then go out and go, yeah, it's what I wanted. It's what I thought. It's what I expected. Yeah. And they can talk about it more openly and honestly with the big wide world and you know they'll help attract people for you. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's that someone's experience shapes someone else's perception. Yeah. And that's, that's a, if, you, if you can harness that and get it right, that's, that is absolute gold. Uh, and I have to say, just um, something that someone had said yesterday during the um, yeah during one of the focus groups, and and they'd actually said that the recruitment process they'd experienced didn't reflect the business. Yeah. And we, and I and I thought, oh no, that's, that's not good. <laughs> um, and actually, he said the the process he'd he'd encountered at the time had not been that great for him personally, but he said having joined the business, he absolutely loves it. Um, so it just shows that at both both ends, the experience in the business, but the, the process before, you've got to marry those up. It goes both ways. I've seen amazing employ amazing employers with crap recruitment processes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Crap yeah. employers with amazing recruitment processes. But it's very rare you'll see one with both both being crap or both being no. amazing. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> if we can get both amazing, I'll be, I'll be exactly. Happy. Then I might have that. Then I might have that money in my back pocket. You may want me. You'll be a rich, happy, successful man. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. That'll be good. 
But I mean, what what I would say to anyone that's that's considering it really is is you know it's a great thing to do, and even just from a sort of personal journey perspective. Um, but really do think about why you're doing it. Uh, get get that problem statement down. Get your business case. Get your senior sponsorship, and and above all, get a get a good agency because they they will make the difference between making it a, an okay project yep. and and actually making it something that's really really um, well. I can say it's fabulous. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's it's incredible what what um, this agency have done for it. Excellent. Listen, Phil. On that note, much appreciated. Thanks for your time, your input, your advice. No, thank you. No, really good to catch up as always, Alan. Excellent. Cheers, Phil. Take care. All right. Cheers now. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Big thanks to Phil for sharing his insight and wisdom, and a big thanks to you for listening. Everything we've discussed today can be found at academy.clickiq.co.uk. And any questions or feedback can be sent to hello at clickiq.co.uk.